0: Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to leg nine of the podcast relay. If I knew then what I know now, I'm really looking forward to today's conversation. Um, we will be being joined by Nathan Atkinson. Nathan is here. He's going to be switching his camera on for us any moment. But uh, uh, thank you for joining us, folks. We are um, slowly getting through all the different uh, legs of the relay and really enjoying the conversations that we're having along the way. There's some great learning that we're getting. We're getting the opportunity to share lots of uh, different information as we go through uh, every week as well. And we've got the opportunity to uh, really start to build a, a, a catalogue of loads of great snippets from the conversations. Liam last week, CEO of Lincoln, Lincoln City, really great learning moments. And you'll see via the social media, we are being able to replay a lot of the The great content that we're getting through the course of each of these conversations. Um, So we're in leg nine. Nathan, welcome. Uh, Great to have you here as well. So those of you joining, Nathan is the founder of Rethink Food uh and i'll a creator of rethink feud so i'll I'll let you give your own title in, in a moment nathan but um i know liam when he handed over last week was really sort of excited about the work that you've been doing the way in which you've reinvented yourself i guess over the course of your career to date so far so so ideal opportunity for us to reflect on some of the learnings that you've had along the way so uh thank you for being here and i guess for everyone tuning in nathan i um one, whereabouts are you? Two, how is lockdown going for you so far? And and three, just a little bit about, you know, the story that got you here.
1: All right. Um, so thanks very much for giving me the opportunity to come along and, and share my story today. Um, I'm in Leeds. Um, lockdown has been intense. Um, as an organisation, we have been able to be very responsive and, and actually, um, grow as a business and an organization which is great from a a business point of view but actually it is sad because in so many ways we are dealing to respond to families that are in crisis and people that are very vulnerable so it's kind of a bit bit of a difficult place to be but Mm -hmm. the the time has passed really really quickly Um, it has been a very positive time and the reason for that positive um, so sort of those outcomes has been strategy um, right at the beginning of lockdown, we, we sat down and we set our stall out of what we were going to do, what we weren't going to do uh, and how we were going to go about that. So it was very much risk assessing as many different elements as possible um, and having that sort of strategic approach from the start has actually um, led to, to quite a few successes within the last uh, 15 to 16 weeks.
0: Great. Uh, so we'll get into a little bit more of that as well because that's going to be really interesting. And 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 your background, you know, before rethink food, what 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 you know, what was the journey to get here, and then sort of what inspired rethink food, and what's the philosophy behind
1: it? So uh, my background is in education, um, primary school education, um, and. I um, spent 10 years as a head teacher with, as part of that journey. Um, and in 2014, I took up a post at an inner city school in Leeds. Um, I always want challenge and was something that, that was really important to me, working in vulnerable communities. And in 2014, I, I got that opportunity. It was a big school, um, so nearly 700 pupils enrolled. Um, it served uh, a community that was in the bottom 2% of deprivation nationally. There were 48 languages spoken in the school. We had a, a resource provision for children with autism. So in terms of challenge, it, it most definitely was that. Equally, it was the most amazing, wonderful place to be, but, but the challenge was, was actually at times off the scale. Um, early in that, the leadership there, it became clear to me that a lot of children were arriving at school hungry, Uh, One day after a school holidays, we had an incident where our gas had failed in the kitchens. And so we had to give the children sandwiches for their dinner. And their behavior in school that afternoon was really bad. Now, one of my beliefs is that all behavior is a form of communication. So rather than shouting at these kids and saying, you're horrible because you've done this, this and this, I I sat down with some and I said, I can't imagine what it must feel like to be so angry that you've done this, this and this. And it's not acceptable, but, but what's going on? And one of the older boys stood up and he said, "I'll show you." And he pointed to his stomach. He said, "It hurts here." That I've had a week off school. And normally on the first day back, you give us a roast dinner, but you gave us sandwiches today. And all I've had is bread and crisps for a week, and I'm hungry. Now he didn't put it quite as eloquently as that, but his message was that he was hungry. I went back to my office and I wrote the word hunger on my office wall, and I said, "I'm going to remove hunger as a barrier to learning." Fast forward um, six years now, um, the the, the legacy of that moment was the the creation of Rethink Food. um, And I vowed to to remove hunger. So rather than championing and telling everybody that this is a mission to to feed hungry children, because of the stigma attached to that, because of the, the pride issues and the sensitivity, We created an organization that its core is to to remove hunger, but we do it in an exciting and empowering way. And I think that a lot of that links to to my background as an educator, that lots of organizations give food to people and to families. But the point of difference for for Rethink is that we educate and empower people to live a food-secure life for themselves, to make a difference themselves, so that to move from this, independence to an independent life and and something something like that for me is really really important
0: yeah fantastic and you know it's really really great to hear such a you know clear statement but also such a value values driven approach to things as well so it'll be great to kind of unpack some of the stuff that you know that you reflect on in terms of that that's helped you one take that kind of action but two that maybe formed some of such a values based you know contribution that you're looking to make as well um so no really really fascinating that hunger piece you know there, there's so much that we do in our work for sort of adults at work and fueling themselves to kind of perform to the best of their ability that you know rather than starving themselves through the day and seeing if they can make multi-million pound decisions accurately but actually if we get it back to those habits of and relationships with you know food at school as well you know changes the game from a much earlier stage so uh, um no, really fantastic. So if, if I knew then what I know now is, is the topic of conversation, when you started playing with that concept, w- w- was there something that you went back to early on or was there a thought that you went back to around, actually, if I knew then what I know now this or actually that was useful knowledge that I gained? Where, where did you go with it, Nathan? Uh,
1: it's, it's quite interesting. I think I was a bit maverick when I first thought about it and I thought, oh, if I, I, don't, I wouldn't want to know anything because if, <laughs> if I did then it wouldn't have helped me shape the person that I am now. And because I think that everything I've been through has sort of been like a toolbox of life. All these experiences have gone into that toolbox. And now is the time to be able to to use some of those tools. And I think that was probably a naive way of thinking about it. But the deeper that I thought about that and the more I went into it, I guess it, it came out that actually it's okay to, to get stuck and it's okay to at times make mistakes and it's okay mm-hmm. to be wrong. And so that if, if, I, if I knew that then, then a lot of the anxieties, a lot of the pressure that I put on myself um, to the extent of not living a, a healthy life and, and struggling from a mental health point of view, uh, at times probably drinking far too much to, to find ways of coping with that when actually if you knew that that was part of a progression in life and was part of a process um I think that that, that, that would have probably made a, a few, made a difference and and another thing that when really reflecting and thinking deeply about it is the issue of time right um, I, when I was younger um time was a very limiting factor in my life and I was very much ruled by time but equally from a time perspective was pace it was always about what's next what can I do next what can I achieve next and and I can even link that into to running the London Marathon I trained really hard I worked really hard I became obsessed with the numbers and I've been coached Um, softly by somebody around sort of working towards a marathon and a couple of days before I went down to to do it he said to me don't forget to smell the roses and that always sticks in my mind and I use that quite often when I'm sort of coaching people or working with people because I spent the first six miles of a London marathon being angry that people were in my way (laughs) and at no point did I smell the roses and the intensity of, of running that marathon and the intensity of the cause. I was, I was running it for a, a girl who was in the nursery where I was head teacher. She had cancer and th- we'd raised money and the intensity. And I saw my wife at 25 miles and she shouted to me, do it for, for Chloe. And I just started crying at that point. Whilst her, and I was running that fast because I had to achieve this time that was in my mind and I had to keep pushing on and I, I ran the last mile in like six minutes of a, of a marathon for and I'm not like an elite well nowhere near but for me that was like a massive achievement but all that emotional and then getting to the end and just having just a bit of a crash and I think that that's that that time and that experience could have been far much more enjoyable uh, had I not had that pressure and I think that i going back to sort of work and life, I, I was a head teacher after six years of being a teacher mm-hmm. and that's a, a pretty rapid sort of um, rise through different through to, to to sort of that level of leadership so going back to to time and thinking that things have to happen quickly and now where I am in in sort of my role and and sort of my time in life in being able to think that these things take time and over the last sort of three years of running rethink myself and my business partner have developed a saying that good things take time but more importantly with time they get better Mm -hmm. and to avoid those sort of intense peaks of work and not striving for things but just working much more consistently rather than looking for spikes and sort of seeking those things out because they zap your energy, and they'll give you a little lift, but actually, can take you away from what your core purpose is and what you're trying to do. So, yeah, kind of just. Uh, yeah, yeah.
0: No, uh, there's some really great stuff to unpick there as well. And, and, and when we finish up, uh, we'll, we'll talk about playing from the heart, how to win when there's no finish line, because there's a whole bunch of stuff in our new program, which is, which which is actually about helping people kind of you know. Go at the right pace, rather than always feel like you've got to go faster. And, 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 that, and, that, and there's some really interesting psychology to that. But in terms of making the mistakes and in terms of the kind of the drive that you've got there and there's some really interesting stuff to, to, to unpick in terms of the first bit, that sense of, you know, it's OK, not it's OK to make the mistakes. It's OK not to have that straight line of success. Um, what what was what what do you think was the role of you know who you were trying to impress or who you didn't want to see making you mistakes was it was that was there a particular kind of reference point there or was it about not making mistakes for yourself I'm just interested in a bit of that balance
1: I um, I think that um, there's that self that desire to 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 achieve and to be able to provide for for my family for my, for my children for my wife and uh, to do that and the success within a a, a, a family unit that there, there was there was never pressure from from my family unit um to 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 do anything and and to be that there was sort of levels have been set through, throughout so our family history of a really strong work ethic and um being the best that you can be. And mm-hmm. I think that going back to my very first ever job, I worked, I had a Saturday job, but I worked in a sports shop for a small family business. And so the importance of that for that family of making their money and, and being sort of successful meant that we were only one sort of step away from that. And so it was important to to be your best. And then my first job after university was working again for a family-owned business but that was sort of working in sort of um quite a, a high-end sort of um spa retreat and the importance of that the, the customer has to have this best experience and even now i, I will do certain things i think is it to that level and we're, we're trying to, to achieve to that level so i guess that it's, that it's about the, the work ethic but nearly everything all those expectations will have been put there by me um and uh, that that sort of fixed mindset of wanting to to be able to do that and and i've changed and i've developed and and since coming out of school and, and working on the rethink food has has given me that opportunity to sort of to take that off a little bit particularly around the intensity of it mm-hmm. and take a step back and um, just be able to, to, to see, see things much more of a, a slower process rather than that fast pace
0: yeah yeah interesting as well to hear you kind of reflecting upon you know personal expectations but pretty strong sense of responsibility to others and that, yeah. that, that, that feels like a pretty heady heady mix to kind of you know to deal with hence you know, that, that fear of the mistakes, I guess, and not be, not not being able to ease into the learning rather than fearing the mistakes more than celebrating all the learning, whether good, bad or indifferent. That feels like a that, that, you know, pretty pretty interesting mix.
1: Yeah, and uh, celebration is quite a, an, an important word that you pick up on there because when you're that focused on that drive and the pushing, the pushing, the pushing, it's not taking that time to to reflect and to, to recognize the the achievements and the, the things that you have done because the, the, the forward looking and that seeking and that, the, that self-pressure means that you, you forget those times and consciously now try to, to look back and to, to celebrate those um, sort of successes and, and the great things I've done. But I guess without sort of looking too deeply into my own psychology is that, sometimes there's an element of feeling special as it's described that's probably missing from from my personality so being able to celebrate those successes when you can't feel special yourself is a difficult thing to do mm-hmm. so it's always about probably moving on and going now you know what we achieved that that's great and but actually when you you're leading a team those celebrations are really important because of other people's sort of um, individual needs, so making time to, to celebrate those successes and to celebrate those successes sincerely um, i've i 've had to to work hard and and um, to to make sure that my face is saying as much as the words are as well, yeah. so that there's that genuine sincerity because if you you just got a tick list that says I have to say well done and congratulations to this person pick it off then you might as well not bother saying well done and thanks at all but I guess that because of personality traits and and sometimes things like that are, are difficult and when you're working in an organization you're leading an organization people skills and relationships with people are, are so important and and when from from my own sort of personality put me on a stage in front of a thousand people and i can come alive put me in a room one-to-one with a person i haven't got a clue what i'm going to say to this person or i can be the most socially awkward and introvert but i can then um when it's the sort of that that time to come alive then then it's very different so so people skills and dealing with people it has been sort of very much a, a learning process um, th- throughout my uh, professional journey. Yeah. And, and was, was there
0: any particular support that you got with that or insight that you provided that actually was one of those kind of right, I know that now kind of points? Was, was there any particular advice or useful stuff that you read that, that helped with making that shift or feeling more comfortable with that variety of leadership responsibility?
1: I, I think going back to being in the classroom as a teacher um, and starting to, to be aware of children's special educational needs and particularly mm-hmm. looking into like the autistic um, spectrum, uh, looking at um, OCD, all these different kind of things. I, I've got it's like, tick, 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 tick. And when you're thinking about how you, you're working and how you're shaping things for a child with those, those learning needs, Actually, I've learned a lot about myself in that time, and it's not like a self-diagnosis, but the autistic spectrum is this sort of sliding scale, and everybody will be on it at some sort of point with certain traits, and it's seeing those things in myself that has enabled me to to understand some of that a little bit better, and then be able to adapt. And quite, I I work, um, as well as doing Rethink Food within sort of leadership development within education, and quite often when I'm working with middle leaders talk about when you're a class teacher you've got 30 children in your class and you have to have a relationship with those 30 children and you understand what their needs are and and like I said earlier in the conversation that all behavior is a form of communication so unpicking those elements so that when you become a leader it's no different from working with your class You've still got your own class and you're still working with that group of individuals. It's just that now they're, they're adults. And so it's understanding sort of what their needs are and being able to communicate. So some people will be able to read uh, an email that's sort of two sides of A4. Some people might need that in sort of half of that space. Other people need you to speak it and to be able to say it it's about understanding the needs of others and then adapting your, your communication methods to be able to, to meet their needs that said and this sort of goes back to a learning that you can't always be everything to everybody so there has to be some sort of minimal expectation but it's about being uh, being able to adapt your message to, to the different audiences
0: yeah yeah that's really powerful I'm a, i, I I'm, a, I'm on a bit of a mission that every time OCD is mentioned I tell people to read Lily Bailey's book um, because we are bad a girl lost in thought because it demystifies everything to do with OCD and stops people using it inappropriately because it's one of the 10 most sort of challenging health disorders that anyone can get it's not being a bit of a neat freak Uh, and so so all of that stuff for education and when we start seeing kids that really do have that and understand exactly what's going on for them internally, it makes a massive difference. So, so that's, that's just my read Lily Bailey's book and follow her and she will re-educate everyone on what OCD actually is. It's really powerful stuff. But I, I think the other bit that comes out really clearly there, Nathan, is that that sense of the leadership responsibility of delivering the message with the audience in mind rather than delivering it how I'm comfortable delivering it and you know kind of what 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 do they need from me what rather than what do i fancy telling them in what kind of style um and that, that's a pretty big shift isn't it
1: yeah absolutely and you don't you're not wanting to, to be a dictator you're trying to get those people to that that common place and that that very much as much as the message it's the Delivering that message and the content of the message, and making sure that it always goes back to your why. So the, the whole Simon Sinek of, of start with why and making sure that it's that why that drives you. It, it's not about what you're doing; it's about why you do it. So, like with with Rethink, we can tell you all the different programs that we do, and that's really exciting. Uh, and I could walk into a room and tell people about that, and they'll they'll go away. But the focus in my presentation is why we do it. This is why we're doing it. We're improving outcomes for children, young people and their families. We're removing hunger as a barrier to learning. And it's about that education and empowerment for, for those people that is really important. And it, when you, you think about all different kind of marketing elements, it's, it's, it's like buying a drill. You don't, you don't go out because you're wanting to buy a, a six millimeter drill. You're going out because you need a hole. And it's the drill bit that's going to get you the whole kind of thing. So it's making sure that you, you can communicate effectively as well and using that why is the important driving factor.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So and, uh, that that clarity of removing hunger as a barrier, I think is really interesting because I'll go back to your marathon now because I talk to people a lot about outcome hijack when, you know, you're in the here and now and you're hijacked by the finish line that you're desperate to get to and your your every thought is focused on the finish line and getting over it, which is taking away focus from being in the here and now. So given that your marathon one was one where the smelling the roses was difficult and given Rethink Food has got kind of a a remove hunger as a barrier, you know, does that feel like a finish line that we haven't removed hunger yet, we need to get closer to it, or is it more of a point of arrival that you're excited by seeing how much closer you can get to it each day
1: yeah that, this is um a piece of work that is going to go on for for a long long time and um a couple of years ago i was at a, a networking event i was sat next to a guy and he, he asked me what i did and i was telling him about it. he said that's really interesting so let me tell you about a place where um they provide food for families. They even started to offer facilities where they could wash their clothes and they could do X, Y, and Z. They had this whole wraparound care. And I was like, wow, where, where's that? He said, it's Bradford, and it was in 1930. So um, that, that shows that even though we, we've, we've, we've made progress, there's still a, a, an awful long way to go. And the current situation that, we're, that we find ourselves in now, this crisis, from, from my point of view, uh, and, and our our perspective as a, as an organization the crisis legacy is going to be far harder hitting the families the, the vulnerable families where there's a lot of support out there at the minute but when everyone goes back to work when restrictions continue to lift people go uh, are back to work and um, that a lot of that goodwill and that support is going to disappear and a lot more families are going to be vulnerable so um, this crisis legacy is something that we're, we're really focusing on. But, but interestingly, we're already looking beyond the crisis legacy to building a brighter future. Mm-hmm. And through education again, and through giving children and young people a voice in this particular uh, time that we're in, we, we really want to, to help them work towards build that brighter future. And we're able to do that through the medium of food. Uh, and particularly looking at that from an environmental perspective. And again, that's sort of outwardly telling people we're doing this to save the planet. What drives us every day is that we're doing it to improve it for, for, for children and young people.
0: Yeah, and, and so if, if we go back to some of that you know, earlier learning, so you, you as the headmaster and, and the, the, you know, the, the young boy telling you that his stomach hurt, you know, was, was, was there anything there that you, know, you, you also learned about how you help? and you know did did that open your mind up to some learning around you know direct and indirect because it feels like you've got a very holistic picture anyway but i'm wondering if that if that sharpened any of that thinking in a particular way back then as well
1: yeah i guess that when i really unpick things like that i i've always fought for the underdog um i've always wanted to to do right and Right, weirdly, I can remember being about eight years old, and there was a kid in school. He wasn't even in my class, and and nobody, nobody liked him. And for me, that was gutting. And so when it was Christmas time, I I was the only kid in the school that wrote him a Christmas card because of that empathy and that sort of compassion. And it's like I want to do that, but that in itself has been a bit of a roller coaster. That what you Maybe when it was my first headship, there was a, again, it was a smaller school. So each time I I sort of progressed, I went to a bigger school, a bigger school. But when I was in that first school, the the vulnerability of the children, it was something that I took very personally and I Mm -hmm. took home every day and it weighed on my shoulders. And to to the extent that that mentally was very, very draining. I took all that baggage on and I didn't process it and I wasn't able to, to let it go. And there wasn't supervision available as there is now in, in sort of school. So it's very much a, a very crippling. And but but I sort of responded to that by tightly trying to to sort of control that and to be able to put things around. And part of my learning has been is not to do things to people um because I'm doing them to the to them from my point of reference, from what yeah. I think is best. And quite often when we try and improve things for people, we're doing, it's our learning and our life experiences that have actually shaped that. But actually you need to take a step back and actually understand what those needs are. So so an example linked to food is that you think, well, surely you you can give your kid a bowl of cereals and a slice of toast at home in the morning. But the answer and the feedback from some of the children is, there's no electricity on the meter. How do you keep your milk cold? How do you make toast? And uh, we, I talk a lot about people living in their own bubbles, and they, those bubbles are informed by all those experiences. So making sure that you don't put those experiences onto other people and taking a breath, taking the time and experience and life skills can, can help shape that and not doing to people. So what rethinking doesn't do is push things on people. It doesn't force people into sort of... Um, pigeonholes it it has a broad and balanced offer and as a teacher you'll get learning resources and they'll say lesson one week one 10 minutes talk about this 20 minutes talk about this and a lot of people a lot of teachers grew up with sort of those kind of learning platforms what we have created is an idea a point of inspiration and we say to the teachers we want you to use this as your point of inspiration to differentiate it to the needs of your school, to the needs of your community. And if it doesn't look like our idea at the start, that's amazing. But please will you tell us what it looked like so we can then keep feeding that in and feeding that in and and building the content because there's no set, there's no one set outcome. There will will be all kinds of different needs um, and desires, uh, aspirations and forcing something on somebody is not the right way to go about it so try not to, to restrict things and not to, to strangulate things because that's how I've seen it in my mind and I think I might have been guilty of that early on in my career but through through maturing and sort of life experiences it, it means now that we're in a position to to understand the needs but not to force the outcomes.
0: Yeah yeah I, the, the, the um. John Amachie, who uh, uh, you may have seen a lot of doing some of the anti-racist stuff. Where said, John, John gave a good jolt a few weeks ago in one of his bits, to camera that he does regularly, where he was sort of talking about the whole premise of treating other people as you'd like to be treated yourself is wrong. Yeah. It's arrogant. It's wrong. Treat people as they would like to be treated, you know, and actually take the time to find that out. And that was a really great framing of, of, of what you're talking about there. And I, and I, I think that's really powerful. And it feels like that kind of, moving more and more comfortably into doing the right thing in the right way, rather than you just wanting to do the right thing and make a difference to people, you know, it feels like that was a very important part of the kind of development process. Cause you know, I, I I'm also sort of thinking about something you said right early on around kind of how you coped with things. Cause it really feels like this desire to make a difference, this compassion that you've got, but the drive that you've got, um, feels like taking care of your mental health is a pretty sort of you know important challenge when there's you know maybe all the time you're feeling like there's more to do there's more to do I'm not there yet I'm not there yet and that kind of internal urgency desire to make a difference but kind of you know right How, how do you take care of you have you have you learned how to take care of you more in order to keep the energy high
1: yeah, I think r- rather than when you said, how did I cope? I think you should say how I didn't cope. Right. Um, and um, I think to have, have to go through an experience to be able to look back on it like that is, is something that's really important. So how did I cope? I obsessively exercised. Not a good idea. I right. can now go out for a run and I don't have to have a watch on. I don't have to have a device that tells me how far I've gone and how quickly I've done it. I can run freely. And that's really, really important. And that's part of my development and well-being. Um, probably that you can pick up from, from sort of the, the pace of this conversation yeah, and some yeah. of those experiences. I don't actually have an off switch, which is very hard. And that's really difficult when alcohol becomes a bit of a coping mechanism as well. And thankfully two and a half years ago I switched it off um, for for good. So but again, that's probably not the right way to approach it because switching it off is not the right thing. But eventually being able to be in a position where I can enjoy a glass of wine, a beer, but I'm still not ready for that in terms of that journey because again it becomes an obsession and something to focus on and and, and not a positive way way of releasing. So as I can go for a run now without sort of that the time and everything that pr- I'm sure that's part of my recovery and well-being I'll be able to, to to do the same um but again sort of there was sort of I had a, a period of time where I had medication for anxiety and depression and again having reassessed and now doing something that is absolutely my passion and we are controlling the direction we are so setting the, those expectations and and performance levels and not being judged by an external sort of pressure, it means that that all those things those things have gone away and I guess that maturity and experience and life experiences have all gone into them. When it, again linking into sort of and I think I've mentioned it already the the toolbox of life, mm-hmm. um, all these experiences and all, and all these moments have helped me have that toolbox and now to be in a position to know what I'm going to use and when I'm going to use it but probably most importantly why you are doing that Um, and being self-reflective and now being able to take that time and and to breathe and to to work things through slowly. I just uh, was made aware a couple of weeks ago about a book called How to Be a Craftivist by Sarah Corbett and this is talking about the art of gentle persuasion. So rather than being a, a campaigner that's bang, 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 it's about just taking your time. And the, the, what the craft do is they sort of stick a lot of their messaging. So whilst you're taking you're literally sewing messages and mm-hmm. cross-stitch messaging, and the, the way they use those is just a, a, an incredible process. But what happens during the, the time that it takes to sew is that you think and you reflect. So you can't rush your message out to somebody and say this because you haven't done it yet. And so you've got to think about it and you refine it all the time. And I, I, I'm able to relate that to a project that I'm doing at the moment. So at the start of lockdown, I planted some lettuce, basil and uh rocket. So we, we planted these seeds as an experiment to show because we, we, we introduced growing into classrooms and we use these aeroponic towers. So I wanted to show that aeroponic growing versus growing in soil so we did this little thing for social media and it was a little bit fun but at the end of it i decided not to harvest all the crops but to let them go to seed right and to let something go to seed takes time and so i'm watching this growing taking place every day and the idea is that when these seeds are ready they're seeds of hope and we're going to use these seeds of hope that were grown during lockdown to start sending our message So certain people are going to receive some of our seeds and the message is going to be to plant them, but to watch them grow and to reflect and think about what we're trying to achieve, working towards removing hunger as a barrier to learning. And the old me would have banged these seeds out or wanted to bang them out weeks and weeks ago, but they're not ready. And every day when I look at them, this idea and this project refines and improves. And that goes back to that. things take time but with time they get better so just taking that time and taking the pace out of things is meaning that this this project is going to be much more um powerful when it gets out there
0: yeah and i i think there's a there's a huge step of confidence for people to know that doing things slowly and with deep grace and control is an enormous skill that takes work because we yeah. practice pace, 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 you know, but you can't go, well, that's, that's doing it properly. But, well, you know, uh, watching Roger Federer play a tennis shot that looks like the slowest and easiest shot to play in the world, where he has had, mo- you know, mi- milliseconds to make the decision to execute the shot, and he makes it look slow. Watching Elliot Kipchoge break the two-hour marathon barrier and glide across the line as if he's just starting the run, it takes a huge amount of work to, to look slow when you're in the thick of doing the stuff that means so much to you. And and, and there's there's something really powerful about that. And you, you just, you know, the seeds of hope thing is kind of a really, you know, can you be brilliant at slowly harvesting seeds of hope? Because that's a different performance than, you know, creating loads and loads of growth in a short space of time, you know, in, in, a, in a different way. And it's really powerful hearing you talk about that.
1: I, I think that, one of the things that, when sort of preparing for this, is and thinking about all the experiences, about something that's really important to me is giving credit, um, because you see often people that that take credit and they yeah I did that I did that I did that. For me, what's really important is taking credit, and oh, or not taking credit, <laughs> giving credit. Yeah, yeah. Um, so so for me, credit to the people that have helped me on that journey. So the mentors. And um a, a particular guy, Steve Cole, who has helped us and, and sort of challenged us and slowed us down. And he, he talks about this gun dog that we've got at the side of us as rethinking at the minute, but we're not ready to let it off the lead yet because we've got to wait, we've got to wait, we've got to wait. And and that has been sort of really influential within development. But but, the, but going back to that that sort of the credit and the, the reason why we've got these mentors is the importance of relationships and the importance of networking as well. Um, I'm so passionate about what I do. We're, we're, there, there was a, an incident a couple of years ago that I was on my way to a meeting and I spotted um, Stuart Lancaster, who was in the same hotel, and he was on a phone call. I thought, I'm going to wait, tell him, and to approach him. and but again, just trying to tell people about what we do is really important to to spread the message and I waited and I waited and this phone call kept going and it kept going and it kept going and it it was just like just just waiting to be able to tell that person because you never know who that person will tell and to be able to package your message up on that elevator pitch to be able to, to really impact but going to meetings and and being in a room and you never know who you're in the room with so so for me that that power of networking has been really, really important. And it's in 2017, I was, I spoke at an all-party parliamentary group um, in Westminster um, about school food. And so in that space, somebody was listening and in lockdown at the start of lockdown somebody who'd followed us from that point of view then offered us some financial support as a donation to to keep doing some really great stuff but it had taken from 2017 so three years pretty much for for that to happen and it was about being in that space and being in 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 sort of different times and places and sharing the story but also listening as well Um, What's been really important as well as speaking for, for the development of, of me and also the organisation is listening um, because you you can find yourself talking all the time, but a lot of the good learning is done during listening. Um, I've just got notebooks upon notebooks where I'll write everything down and then a year, two or three years later, a conversation, I'll go, oh, I can, if I go back to that and, and I've got that sort of chronology and that that sort of journey that, that you can go back to. But a lot of the good sort of innovation, development, progression of the business has happened during the listening time um, and learning from a whole host of different, different people and places and, and reading. I, I'm a, a huge sports fan, so I've read a lot of books to, to do with sport. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've applied sort of the learnings from sport into sort of my pro- professional career. And that, that's been interesting to, to adapt some of those models, but it's always trying to look about how the, the, the use and the development of people skills. And, and reading and learning from things is not always about copying, but sometimes understanding where other people have made mistakes and not quite got it right, and being able to differentiate and to, to use those within, within a different setting.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I I get very bored of all the LinkedIn posts, which are about, you know, 23 things that amazing people do before breakfast. Just like, yeah, just no. what they do is their business. What they've done is they've worked out that they're going to do something that works for them. Copy working out what works for you, but don't copy what they do. It's, it's, it's that application, the confidence to do that, because it strikes me as well in terms of the listening stuff. And and the openness and but also your sense of you know wanting to make an impact for other people and ha- and, and have that sort of you know positive regard from people that are meaningful for you, building that network and cre- and having people around you who you want to impress, and then having the confidence to do that sort of take really builds on that, you know, desire of, that you've got really positively. Surround yourself with, with great people who you want to live up to, but want to learn from. And it becomes a really good, strong mix. Um, a recognition in there, I guess.
1: Yeah, and I get, that goes back almost to, to the, the earliest point that you said about that, knowing then what you know now. And if you, you knew that it was okay when you got stuck, that it's okay to ask for help, mm. uh, but not asking for help because you can't be bothered to figure it out yourself. Because getting stuck... And working a way around that is all part of that toolbox thing that that, that they keep referring to. Um, But sometimes when you get stuck and having the right people to talk to and to talk through that problem with, and I find that when you're talking it through with that trusted person, with the the right kind of person, they don't give you the answer. You've got your answer there. You will work through it. But being able to to have those conversations with people who have maybe been through similar situations and who can effectively coach, I suppose, you you through through a situation is really important.
0: Yeah, yeah. there's a a, a colleague, uh, Duncan Richards from the past. Duncan talks to me about a, a coaching session practice where you weren't allowed. You were the coach, but you weren't allowed to talk. You just had to nod, or make <laughs> make noises. <laughs> and it was a really effective coaching session because the other person you know was just starting to tip out stuff and would react and respond to um, you know uh, the the noise or the lack of noise from the person who was their silent but all-knowing coach so, you know it's kind of a, quite an interesting just way of looking at it give people the space to share the answer to then you know then build the conversation afterwards it's, I, think, it, well,
1: I think that just sort of tying into that and some of the things we said about that constricting earlier one of my greatest successes as a a coach as a sports coach was with my uh, a girls football team and so I I took them up under uh, under 11s and then under 14s they won the league and cup double which was just like it's a mic drop moment it can't get any better than that packing whilst you're doing you're doing all right but when those when I first started I really was they were doing these. This this group of girls were were playing football, but because I was teaching them and I was had these drills set up, and they they were very unsuccessful. And after it was after reading Phil Jackson Eleven Rings that there was something in there that sort of said about decision making and empowering mm-hmm. people. So traditionally in in kids football you give out the bibs and you decide who's on what team. Something as simple as putting the bibs on the floor and saying over to you. You make the decision on, on who goes into that team. And not having practices that I designed but understanding how they wanted to play football, but using sort of the, the, the training sessions to stop, reflect, think about what we've done, why you're going there. And the girls owned their own team and I was there to to sort of provide that sort of overview and the guidance, but they made those decisions. And in training, put them in situations where they felt uncomfortable in terms of footballing sort of scenarios, mm-hmm. so that they could make those decisions then for themselves. So when it came to a game and they were losing, that there wasn't—I would never scream and shout from the touchlines. It was about them applying what they would sort of developed within the training in, into to a match situation. And for me, that's probably my greatest sporting achievement is, is their success, but because I empowered them and they sort of really took that lead, which is really important.
0: Yeah. And, and, and you know, sharing the power and the responsibility and kind of, you know, and, and it also becomes much more around the performance rather than the score and the result, you know, and, and that's, that's a classic one for us is, you know, I, are people really confident enough to go and play the game and, and, and make themselves proud by the way that they play and then this, you know, see what happens with the score? And, and typically, back to outcome hijack, if you stop worrying so much about am I going to make the time and you think about smelling the roses one step at a time sort of through the marathon, you'll probably go pretty fast. If you use the energy of the people around you to bounce off it rather than get distracted by the fact that people are blocking you from your outcome kind of you know shifts things around really sort of quickly simple but not easy all of that stuff and you know from a leadership point of view being willing to sort of change the power dynamic and do things differently you learn different stuff and you know i I think that's that's a real that's a real strong message that's coming through from everything you do wanting to change the story for everyone and give them give them a different part to play in the story um, that that that's coming through loud and loud and clear, and everything that you do, whether whether that's you, you know, with with rethink food and what you're doing, all the people who are sort of you know benefiting from that feels feels really powerful. Is, is is there any last thing for you to reflect on, just in terms of you know where you are now with rethink food, or sort of any any other final reflections that have been useful and come to mind for you through the process? Yeah, it's a tough
1: one. Um, yeah. <laughs> Rethink is on its own journey and so we're we're at a point now where we're looking recruiting people and making sure that we're the the kind of employer that we actually really want to be and that we really believe in so making sure that our decision-making process is informed by what we stand for and not to fall down a rabbit hole of doing things because everybody else does it It's about making sure that we stay true to, to the core beliefs and and that I don't think I've ever done a job I've always I've never worked I've just done things that, that are really natural and and I know that it was a really harsh thing that when I was a deputy head I was in this office with my head teacher and I was talking about things and I was frustrated and she said remember not everybody cares as much as you do And that was crippling that was horrible because until that point i didn't realize that and i thought that everybody had this passion and what we're trying to develop is a place where people can come and work and really live their passion and and not work a job but to do something because it's it's that meaningful that's what they are there to do and and kind of born to do it and just really sort of nurturing people and, and to be able to support people in doing that and if i think back to the classroom think even back to to sort of being being at school myself encouraging people to believe in themselves and encouraging people to um work towards their dreams not not blindly heading towards something but nurture that passion and, and nurture and uh, always believe in yourself always believe that that you can achieve and Don't be sort of put off by the the noise and distractions around you, but really focusing and harnessing that drive and and determination to to create great things and and to do positive things and trying to be a better version of yourself uh, all the time, looking at that self-reflection and self-improvement. So I think there's been a really powerful and sort of development opportunity taking part in this session today has, has been really, really positive. So thank you. Uh
0: brilliant, really, really strong. You kind of you, you you reminded me of someone who told me that the word vocation comes from the sort of prefix of voca, which means you're calling. Um, so you know, so you know, it is a calling, a vocation, and and you know that's that's come through loud and clear. You know, there has been a calling. There's something has pulled you in. Something that, you know purpose driven. Organizations are talking about purpose driven all the time at the moment, but you know, are they taking the time to create? A really compelling purpose that people can be called into, because um, mostly it's about profit, really, and they're sort of just trying to they're trying to dress it up by reading Simon Sinek and then kind of doing some stuff that says, well, we better have this why thing, hadn't we, um, where it's still about shareholder value. It's finding that sh- real purpose calling. So, so really, really powerful reflection. So thank you for those. There's loads of loads of great stuff in there. You know, we'll we'll certainly continue the conversation and look, look to support as much as we can in, in any way that we can beyond today. Um, so thank you. Fantastic stuff. So that um brings us to the next baton handover. Um so having heard about all your great reflections and giving you the opportunity to speak, who would you like to hear from? Who, who are you handing over to, Nathan and why?
1: Um so having thought about this in in some detail, I'd like to um hear from uh, Tracy Lynch, who is the chief executive of the Greg's Foundation. Okay. So as in Greg's the Baker. So Greg's um, in recent years have become a wonderfully successful business but actually they've been a wonderfully successful business for a long time um, and I guess there's that individual story of the, the Greggs family which is, is very interesting. Uh, Tracy has worked for Gregs for about 20 years and part of her journey has been moving into the foundation and the foundation distribute about three million pounds a year um, not just through food, not just in, in sort of the, the the food area, but in a whole host of different sort of areas of need. Um, uh, one of their partnerships is with Premiership Rugby, and that's quite an exciting project that they run. Um, but yeah, as an organisation, um, they're, they're a great team, uh, and they've just got a really good sort of family feel about the, the, the foundation and the positive things that they do. And I know Tracy is a great character and she'll have some interesting stories about her journey. And so the, the development of the foundation over recent years.
0: Oh, fantastic. Uh, that, that, that sounds like a
1: really great next conversation
0: to step into as well. So thank you. That That's a really, really looking forward to that one. I'll kind of get the, the homework done between now and then, and we'll look forward to that conversation with Tracy. So, uh, so fantastic. Thank you for that, sir. And look, brilliant to have your thoughts and your reflections here today. All of the best with sort of, you know, um, making sure that hunger is removed as a barrier to learning. Um, and certainly through the work that we do at BelievePerform.com. anything that we can do to help push that message out there as well, well, we'll be doing that as well. So inspiring to hear that. Thank you very much, sir. And uh, thank you for those who are listening and who follow up and uh, uh, watch the recording as well. Um, do, do, get involved and do help Nathan and and the team out. I'm sure they would welcome any sort of uh, support that they can get from any of you who have been inspired by what he's had to say. So uh, have a safe weekend, sir. Thank you very much for your time. Go well, everyone, and see you all next week for Leg 10. Thank you very much. Take care.